And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. They love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans. For they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Thank you for reading. It's a lovely sound, the gentle pitter-patter of rain on the tin roof, isn't it? I grew up in parks out west and we had a tin roof and after some long, dry, hot summers, the sound and the smell of rain on the dry ground was just so beautiful. Uh, I hope you're warm at home, tucked in, nice Ugg boots on perhaps, pyjamas perhaps still. Yes, I won't pan around and show you what we're all wearing. <laughs> it's great to be here. My name's Pete Stacey and I just want to add my welcome to what's been said earlier. Uh, you've probably picked up that we're talking about prayer this morning. Prayer is our side of a personal conversation that lies at the very heart of a Christian's relationship with the living God. God speaks to us through his word and we speak to him and respond to him in prayer. So over the next four weeks, uh, we're going to focus on how we speak to God uh, by looking at the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray, the Lord's Prayer. Now, if you are watching at home on the live stream, uh, there's an activity sheet for the children. Uh, There it is on the screen. Uh, It's really just the Lord's Prayer with some words missing. And uh, fill that out, whack it on the fridge. And I think it'd be great if all of us, young and old alike, learn it off by heart. Uh, It's great to be able to pray. Uh, So many times, people, particularly at the end of life, They don't remember a lot of detail about the Bible and whatever, but they'll say things like the Lord's Prayer, Psalm 23, some of those wonderful, wonderful uh, promises in Scripture. Well, as we uh, come to the Lord's Prayer this morning, let's pray. Gracious Father, thank you for speaking to us through your word. Please give us eager hearts as you teach us how to speak to you. In Jesus' name, amen.
Well, there's much that could be said about the topic of prayer, and there's so much that could be gleaned from, from all of the passage that was read out uh, for us. Uh, the Bible study does that. Um, but in this series, we're focusing on the prayer itself. And in this uh, first part uh, of the prayer, we're, what we see is that God is wonderfully personal, immeasurably great, and he has a plan for his world. So let's begin with the first part. Perhaps the most shocking feature of the whole prayer is the first two words, our Father. No other religion in the world uses such warm, personal, affectionate language to communicate with its God. But here, Jesus, the Son of God, teaches us, the people of God, to pray, our Father. Well, how can this be? John explains it uh, in the introduction to his gospel. He says this, To all who received Jesus, to those who believed in his name, God gave the right to become children of God. In his first letter, John says this, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. And, And Paul says, The Spirit... You received, that's at the moment you put your trust in Christ, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to God's family. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So all who have been placed, uh, have placed their trust in Christ are adopted as God's children. And so Jesus warmly encourages us teaches us to call God our Father, uh, in the Hebrew, Abba, literally Daddy. What an extraordinary privilege. It's wonderful, isn't it? In this passage, Jesus affirmed private individual prayer. Go into your room, close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. But it's helpful to note that as he teaches us to pray, it begins by our Father, implying corporate prayer. See, God has adopted us into a family and it's great that families pray together and the family of God prays together. It's a good thing to do. 150 years ago, a fellow by the name of J.C. Ryle, a great man of God, said this, We shall do well to watch our habits of prayer with a holy watchfulness, for here is the pulse of our Christianity. Here is the true test of of our state before God. Prayer is fundamental, not supplemental. It is essential, not optional, both in the individual and in the corporate lives of God's people. Or having begun with the personal nearness of God, the words in heaven now remind us that God is immeasurably great When Isaiah saw the Lord seated on the throne, it's no wonder that he cried out, Woe to me! I'm ruined. From a man of unclean lips, I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. That last bit literally means the commander of heaven's armies. So the words in heaven remind us of God's majesty, his power and rule.
very strange thing happened one day when John F. Kennedy was president of the USA. A little boy walked into the White House. Now got up the steps and in the front doors and the security uh, ignored him. Uh, he somehow managed to navigate his way all the way right up to the famous Oval Office. Now, the Department of Defence wasn't worried. Uh, the guards saw him but did nothing about it. He proceeded to open that big door and walk right in. No one's doing anything to slow him down. He walks over to JFK sitting behind the desk and he climbs up on his lap and says, Hello, Daddy. Friends, when we pray, we are entering the throne room from where the whole universe is ruled and governed. And Jesus is teaching us to say, hello, Daddy, in heaven. So the next bit makes perfect sense. Hallowed be your name. See, God's name is the, the sum total of his glorious character. The fullness of who he is. To hallow God's name is to proclaim his holiness. So the person who prays, hallowed be your name, is asking that God's awesome and holy character would be on display to the whole world. Now I want to make it clear that, that God's glory and honour and holiness has nothing to do with us and our response to him. By saying this, we don't somehow make him holy. He's no more magnificent and holy if we worship him with our lives. And his majesty is no way diminished or undermined if we ignore him or reject him or abuse him or even deny that he exists at all. Whether we recognise it or not, God is holy. But hallowing God puts him in his rightful place in our hearts. The passage from Isaiah 6 demonstrates how this works and how it affects us. The seraphim, they're, they're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. They are hallowing God's name, showing reverent admiration for this great God in whose presence they dwell. They're declaring what he's like. And above all else, God is holy. So how do we respond personally to God's white-hot holiness? Repent and rejoice. Isaiah was one of the greatest prophets in the Bible. The way that God worked through him and the things that God spoke him are simply astonishing. But when God gave him this vision, the one thing that Isaiah is immediately and acutely aware of is his own sin. He knows that in the face of God's holiness and power and glory, the only thing that he recognises is that he doesn't belong in such a place. And that he's in deep trouble for being there. Look at verse 5. Woe to me, I cried. I'm ruined from a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Friends, confessing our sin is right and perfectly sensible in front of a holy God. 
Now, if you read on in Isaiah chapter 6, you see that God dealt with Isaiah's sin. And God deals with our sin too. It is only by the sacrifice of his son, our Lord Jesus Christ, taking our punishment on the cross that we can be forgiven. Our hearts washed clean and the burden of guilt lifted off our backs forever. And so that gives us cause to rejoice. Rejoice in the mercy and the grace of God. We hallow him now. When we hallow something, we honour it. We celebrate it. We promote it. We give it pride of place and we change our own behaviour to match that truth. At a basic level, I mean, every person hallows something. I mean, to pick some obvious examples, uh, you know, Steven Spielberg, he hallows filmmaking. Roger Federer, he hallows Tennis, Paris Hilton, perhaps she hallows cheap sexuality, something like that. Uh, These people hallow these things because their lives honour, celebrate, promote and give pride of place to their favourite thing. They change their behaviour to match that thing. Every person's life is like this. And we can work out what that thing is simply by watching And listening for long enough. Which is precisely what God is doing with each of us. Watching our life. Watching my life. He listens to what comes out of our mouths. He inspects the motives of our hearts. He looks at both the small moments of our lives and our life in total. Every moment is important. Because every moment adds to the picture of what you and I hallow with our lives. So for us to pray, hallowed be your name, means that we want God's name to be honoured and celebrated and acknowledged and promoted and given pride of place. And at the same time, it's a commitment to align every aspect of our own lives with that truth. But is this what you really want? Do you really want God's name to be honoured above yours? God's name celebrated, not yours. God's name promoted instead of yours. God's name given pride of place, not yours. Do you really want your life to change at every level to reflect the hallowing of God? In every way possible. I can't answer for you, but it's what we all need. It's what we're all actually made for. That's why Jesus taught us to pray it. So far we've seen that God is wonderfully personal and immeasurably great. And at this point, I want to ask you a question. What do your prayers emphasise the most? God's nearness and fatherly warmth? Or his awesome majesty and holiness. I wonder what you and I could do this week to to bring more balance into the way we pray to God this week. And then we read, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This reminds us that God has a plan for the world and that includes our lives, of course. A few years ago, 
we had our backyard surveyed. You can get a bit of work done. Um, the boundaries define our patch. Uh, they mark out our usable space. What about God? Psalm 24 verse 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. That's some kingdom, isn't it? That's some kingdom. Nothing in all of creation is outside God's kingdom. There is nowhere where we can hide from God or escape from him. So that raises the question. If he already rules everything, everywhere, all the time, why don't we pray that his kingdom will come? Well, in the same way that God ordained the beginning of creation, the starting point, he has also ordained the end goal of creation, where it's all moving towards. He's making all things new and bringing everything under the lordship of his, his son, our Lord Jesus. Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 to 11, very well known, but I'll read them too. It says this, God exalted him to the highest place. We sing this sometimes, don't we? Just not at the moment. God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But we don't see that yet, do we? We're still on a trajectory towards that moment. So when we pray, your kingdom come, I think we're asking for four things. Firstly, we're asking that God's kingdom will grow numerically as people turn to Christ. One of the amazing things about God's kingdom is that he calls us to join him in building it. I think he'd do a much better job without us, but it's the way he's uh, ordained it to work. So we can be a part of the answer there, can't we? By sharing our faith. The second thing is, when we're asking God's kingdom, praying that God's uh, kingdom come, uh, we're praying that it will grow as Christians mature in Christ. Thirdly, we're asking that God will deal with everything that opposes his kingdom. The day will come when he will judge the, the world and remove sin and Satan altogether, along with the effects, ultimately death itself. And fourthly, and, and we're ultimately asking when we pray your kingdom come, we're ultimately asking that Jesus will return. Because that's when his work in us will be perfectly finished and he will reign forever. And this might surprise you, but one of the biggest threats to the growth of God's kingdom is you and me. In year eight, I did lawn bowls for sport. Exceptional period of my life. <laughs> Several times I got the bias, the heavy side, on the wrong side. So I released that ball and off I went into the neighbour's game. You know, caused a bit of trouble. But that's so much like my spiritual life, isn't it? 
You know, you, you set your, your life on what you think is a trajectory towards Christ and off you go and, you know, temptation comes along and uh, the pressures of the world and off you go, veering away from what God's desiring for your life. Wrecking other people's games sometimes too, isn't aren't we? But to pray, your will be done is to pray, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. Align all of my life with your will. And it adds on there, as it is in heaven. Well, what's it like in heaven? When our kids were little, we had three rules for obeying an instruction. First time, cheerful, complete. Simple as that. And they had to get all three. Occasionally they did. In heaven, God's will is always willingly obeyed, joyfully obeyed, and perfectly obeyed. Imagine that, parents, if your kids were like that. But that's what heaven is like. Does that statement describe your obedience to God? Well, praise be to God, he's promised to complete the good work that he has begun in our hearts when Jesus returns as king of God's kingdom forever. In this first part of the Lord's Prayer, we've seen that God is wonderfully personal, immeasurably great, and he has a plan for the world. Let me close with a couple of stories. In 1549, a book of prayers was published that instantly became a bestseller and is still used by millions of people around the world today. It was written by a brilliant scholar and minister who left the Catholic Church during the Reformation. He was eventually burned at the stake because of his little book and its influence. His name was Thomas Cranmer, and this is his book, The Book of Common Prayer. It contains the Lord's Prayer. Actually, the Lord's Prayer quite a few times. Uh, and uh, a number of other prayers that he's, he's penned, inspired and shaped in a similar way to the Lord's Prayer. Um, and I've read many of those prayers, and they're excellent. They're soaked in Scripture, honest and humble, bold and comprehensive in the topics they cover. And that little book has had a profound impact on Christianity the world over, just inviting and encouraging people to a life of prayer. And I commend it to you. About 100 years later, uh, one of my forebears, a man called John Bunyan, some of you might recognise him as the author of The Pilgrim's Progress. John was a man of prayer and was imprisoned for not reading the prayer book properly to his congregation. He was concerned at the mindless repetition of these good prayers and that in time familiarity breeds contempt. In his book, Praying in the Spirit, John Bunyan wrote this definition. Prayer is a sincere, sensible, affectionate pouring out of our heart and soul to God through Christ with the strength and assistance of the Holy Spirit for such things as God has promised or according to the word for the good of the church with submission in faith to the will of God. Now, I could spend a whole day just exploring that definition. But friends, as I close, it's my hope that through this brief series in the Lord's Prayer, 
we will all gain a deeper understanding of what we're actually saying in these words. But more than that, as we say it again and again and again for the rest of our lives, I pray we will not fall into the trap of mindless repetition, but rather that we will pour out our hearts to our Father in heaven. Amen.